Tonight's reading from the Old Testament comes from Proverbs chapter 8. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Besides the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands, and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil are perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule, and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills were brought forth, before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the area the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the fountains of the earth, then I was beside him like a master worksman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his habited world, and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, good evening. How y'all doing tonight? I have some very special friends in the building. You know who you are. Thank you for being here. Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today, Lord. Um, I am inadequate to speak before these people here tonight, and I pray that you would be the adequate one, uh, that your wisdom might go forth, and that you would teach us uh, something new, and that we would apply to our hearts. Have your way. In your name I pray. Amen. So we've been going through a series in Proverbs on wisdom. And before I get into it, I I think I should 
at least define what wisdom is. And if you look in your uh, bulletins and the reflection, the next page, so you got the reading, and in the reflection there's a quote by a theologian named Herman Bovink. And I, I want to just put, uh, put, put some um, definition to this, and I thought he gave some great words. So here is what he said. He said, knowledge is theoretical, wisdom is practical and goal-oriented. Knowledge is a matter of the mind apart from the will. Wisdom, though a matter of the mind, is made subservient to the will. Wisdom is ethical in nature. It is the art of living well. It characterizes the conduct of those who make the right use of their greatest store of knowledge and match the best means to the best ends. So I like, to, I like what he said, the art of living well, and that's really what this chapter is about. But before I get into the sermon, I want some audience participation. Is that okay? I, I want to I say a couple phrases, and I want you to finish them. These are some wise sayings or some common idioms that we have in our culture. So first is, an apple a day does what? All right, okay. A penny saved is? All right, and finally, every cloud has a... All right. So nowadays, you know, you got famous celebrities. These famous celebrities, they, they write down their memoirs after they've gone through a difficult situation. Uh, and for example, Oprah. I don't know if you know this, but Oprah just released a book. And the book is entitled, The Path Made Clear. And here is one of her most quotable quotes in the book. She says, you are not your circumstances, you are your possibilities. I mean, that's, there's a lot of truth in that, right? You are not your circumstances, you are your possibilities. It's a very empowering and encouraging statement. If you feel like uh, uh, you, you, you are in a circumstance that you can't get out and that you're stuck, Oprah is saying that you have unlimited potential. And I think there is some truth to that. However... When it comes to the topic of true wisdom, the wisdom that we're talking about in Proverbs chapter 8, it falls short because Proverbs defines wisdom as the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So true wisdom starts with the knowledge of God before knowledge of self. Yes, look, I need encouragement, you need encouragement, but if we want true wisdom, I'm going to argue tonight that true wisdom starts with the knowledge of God. So I'm going to make three points the call of wisdom, which I'll spend most of my time on that, the nature of wisdom, and the goal of wisdom. Now, I wanted to entitle this sermon, Wisdom You Need, Wisdom You Have, from our very good friend, Yoda. Now, Yoda, Yoda would probably say, wisdom you need, wisdom you have. Is that, did I get it right? I practice. I practice that. So Yoda, anytime Yoda is teaching a young Jedi, he always talks about the thing you seek is right there. How you already have the tools you need. You just need to discover them. And self-mastery occurs when you are one with the force. And this is how Proverbs describe wisdom. In a way, wisdom is everywhere. Wisdom is everywhere and it's calling out to you. So the question today is, what if the answer you seek is right in front of you? 
What if the thing you most desire is in your reach? One of my most famous uh, artists, one of my favorite artists, his name is John Bellion, and he wrote a song called Stupid Deep. And I'll sing a, a, I'll sing a verse so that you can get a picture of what the thing that you seek is right in front of you. So it goes like this. He says, what if who I hope to be was always me? And the love I fought to feel was always free. What if all the things I've done is just attempts of burning love? Cause the hole inside my heart is stupid deep. Oh, stupid deep. And this is the second verse. What if where I tried to go was always here? And the path I've tried to cut was always clear. What if life is just a plan to put some money in my hand when the love I really need is stupid cheap? Oh, stupid cheap. I think John Bellion is saying something there. What if the path I tried to cut was always clear? And the love I sought to seek was free and cheap. What if who I hoped to be was always me? What if the thing I pursued with all my heart was right there in front of me? And this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how the thing you seek is so obvious. It's so right in front of you. And I'm going to help you see it. I'm going to argue tonight that the thing that you're looking for, the lover of your soul, is Jesus Christ. Now, that's my argument. That's why, that's what I want to put forward to you tonight. And you might say, Andrew, I'm not looking for Jesus. Or Andrew, uh, I've tried to find Jesus, but I've, I've lost him. And I'm tired of being disappointed in, 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 a, in a God who seems to make empty promises. I'm, I'm tired of hoping for something that I thought was there and doesn't seem to be there. Or you might say, I don't need religion. Give me common sense. Give me reason. Give me science. Give me happiness. Give me love. My brothers and sisters, I want to challenge you to seek Jesus, to seek the wisdom that comes from God, because you will find that Jesus is calling out to you. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, it defines wisdom, uh, the wisdom of God as Jesus Christ. Wisdom in the Proverbs is an attribute of God. And so when Solomon speaks about wisdom, he he is speaking about the character of God. Now, Solomon didn't know anything about Jesus because God had not revealed Jesus in that time. But Solomon did know something that God and wisdom, it it was a close relation. And he knows this because it says in in, in scripture that God appeared before Solomon in a dream and he asked him, I'll give you anything that you want. And Solomon asked for wisdom. Wisdom. And because Solomon asked for wisdom, God gave him riches, he gave him land, he gave him a, a huge family. And, and, and Solomon, and, and God was so delighted to give Solomon wisdom because he asked for the, for the thing that was close to his heart. So here's the point. The proverb says that wisdom is calling out in the public square. Let's look at it. It says it in verse... Um, Uh, let's see here. 
at verse 3, on, on the heights, do you not hear wisdom call on the heights beside the way at the crossroads, beside the gates in front of the town at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. So the wisdom of God isn't silent. The wisdom raises its voice in the busiest intersection of a city. It calls out to everyone. It's on 5th and H. It's on 5th and I. It's on the corner of 7th and Indiana. And it calls out to everyone. It's not a partisan message. It's not a message that resonates with one particular special interest group, ethnicity, gender, or culture, because it speaks to all people. But if God's wisdom is so obvious and apparent, this is the question that I struggle to ask and to answer when I read this passage, then why don't we hear the, God's voice? Why does the voice of God get drowned out? I mean, it says it here, it's at the front of the portals, it's at the gates, it's on the intersections, it's in the public square. So why does the voice of God get drowned out? Isn't God's voice more persuasive and powerful than any other voice? I want to answer that question in three ways. In, in the previous chapter in Proverbs 7, Proverbs 7 describes another type of wisdom that, that is personified as a seductive stranger. This is the wisdom of the world, which is ultimately folly, which Solomon argues. According to the writer of Proverbs, folly comes with smooth words. It lies in wait for the young, the simple, and the curious, in the streets, in the marketplaces, and at every corner. It is persuasive and, and compelling, but in the end, it leads to death. So you have these two competing wisdoms that are both at the entrance. There is folly. That's speaking out, it's seductive, it's persuasive, it feels and sounds good. And then there's the wisdom of God. And then a second observation, maybe we don't hear God's voice because could it be that we're tired of hearing his voice? It's not that we don't hear it, it's, it's that we hear it too much. You know, it's like uh, he, God is the most obvious thing. He is like gravity, he's everywhere, and he's present with us today. And so it's amazing when you see something that's so obvious, a lot of times it's hard to see it. It's kind of like my wife. If my wife, when, you know, she, she'll put on a, a beautiful dress and she goes and she just looks beautiful and she's like, Andrew, do you notice anything? And I'm like, you look, you look great. And she's like, no, you don't see? I got a new dress today or I did something new. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, why didn't I see it? And it's amazing. I think this is the same thing with wisdom. It's, it's, it's so obvious. It, it's so right in our face that we have a hard time seeing it. And then thirdly, it could be, you might argue that God only speaks to particular people like the elect. That's why it's hard for other people to hear God's voice. But the truth is, in Proverbs 8, verse 4, and let's read it, it says, To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. So wisdom speaks to all whether you're elect or non-elect, whether you are a believer or not a, believer, not a believer. And the difference between those two groups is that one group has surrendered to the pestering, persistent, persuasive voice of God. It's amazing how easy it is to ignore someone who talks all the time. And it takes humility to listen to someone who can't stop talking. 
So God's wisdom is understandable. God speaks in our own language. It's not some esoteric voice for a few to hear. God has, his voice is universal, yet it's hard to see. Now, we might boast in our nuances and our complexities, but deep down, we desire simplicity. Am I right? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I, I desire life to be simple. Now, you might say, Andrew, then why in the world do you have a family of seven? <laughs> but, but, but each individual person gives, gives me simplicity. Amen. There is simplicity. And they're, they're listening to me, so I want to encourage them. I want to encourage them. But it, it's good to be a big family. It's good and right to have five kids. Amen. Come on now. Somebody help me. Because if you ain't going to help me, nobody else will. Amen. So what was I saying? Oh, Lord, help me. So basically, I, I, I'm saying this. Um, that, that the wisdom of God... Is, is understandable, and it makes life simple. Now, having wisdom does not mean things are easy. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes that with much wisdom, there comes much sorrow. Uh, wisdom is not necessarily knowing everything, but wisdom is knowing what you need to know to live and to flourish. We can be wise, but we can't all be all-knowing. Here's an example. I gave my kids a command. And they asked, why should I do that, Daddy? And I said, because I said so. And then they retorted, but why? Who put you in charge? So I was like, you know, I didn't say just because. You know, I'm in charge just because. No, I gave a long explanation. I said, you know, what if you were in charge? So how are you going to pay the rent? And then how are you going to drive the car to pick up the groceries when you get hungry without a license. And then when you get into the car, how will you reach the gas pedal and the brake pedal? And then on top of that, when you, if you crash into another car and, and, and then someone says, where's your insurance, how will you pay and cover that person's damages? So yes, knowing everything doesn't make life easier. It actually makes you worry more and less likely to thrive. And, and Job asked God the why question. You know, Job is a, is a person who, uh, I mean, he had it bad. He lost his, uh, his wife, he lost his kids, he lost everything. And he asked God, why? Why are you putting me through all of, of, the, of this suffering? And God gives the longest answer ever in the Bible to the why question. It's five chapters long. It's from Job 38 to verse 42 and about 130 verses long. So read it. It's in Job chapter 40, verse 8 through 14. God gives a litany of things. He says, where were you when I did this? Where were you in this? Where were you in this? But we need to trust God because God knows what he's talking about. And God asks uh, and, and, and asks God to tell us what we need to know rather than trying to understand all knowledge about everything because it's impossible. God doesn't have to explain everything to us, but he does explain some things. He explains the important things, the life-changing things, the eternal things. God's word says that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And my second point, the nature of wisdom. In verse 7, we see it. It says here, wisdom speaks truth. In verse 8, all the words of wisdom speech is righteous. God's wisdom is not trying to trick you or deceive you. God speaks absolute truth and absolute righteousness because he is the source of truth. 
God doesn't lie and cannot lie because it would be contrary to his nature. Therefore, we can trust God's wisdom because he is faithful. The wisdom of God is valuable. In verse 11, it says here, For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare to her. So the wisdom of God hits you at a level where we wrestle most, and that is the level of desire. Charles Duhigg, in his book, The Power of Habit, he wrote this. He said, for companies, understanding the science of craving is revolutionary. There are dozens of daily rituals we ought to perform each day that never become habits. We should watch our salt or drink more water. We should eat more vegetables and fewer fats. We should take vitamins and apply sunscreen. Yet, while everyone brushes their teeth, fewer than 10% of Americans apply sunscreen each day. Why? Because there's no craving that has made sunscreen a daily habit. And he goes on to say that some companies try to fix uh, this by giving sunscreen a tingling sensation. And it lets you know that you have applied it to your skin. Uh, also, he, he said that uh, companies also with, with, uh, with shampoo. Now, in order for us to crave uh, washing our hair, uh, the, 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 uh, the uh, scientists and the inventors have put in foam. They put foam as a huge reward. And, and shampoo doesn't have to foam, but we add foam, he says, foaming chemicals because people expect it every time they wash their hair. Something uh, also with laundry detergent and toothpaste. So it's interesting. We have these cravings, and in order for us to meet the thing that we need to do, the habits with the cravings, these companies put in suds so that when we brush our teeth, you're like, if, it's not sud- if it doesn't bubble up, you're like, it, it's not working, right? If you don't feel that tingling sensation... You don't want it. And so cravings are what drive habits. And figuring out how to spark a craving makes, a, makes creating a habit easier. So you will never change a bad habit unless you address your desires or what you love. And St. Augustine of Hippo, uh, early church father, says that we are defined by what we love, that we're more defined by what we love than what we uh, uh, know or think or believe. And this is the area where God speaks and dwells in the area of love and desire. God's wisdom is able to meet your needs and to reorder your love so that you desire his kingdom first. Jesus says in Matthew six thirty three, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. God's wisdom can satisfy you. Proverbs 8 goes on to say that wisdom was present at the very beginning of time, before the beginning of the earth. Let's look at it in verse 23. It says, ages ago I was set up, and in verse 22, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. Now, I'm going to make a little theological pit stop here, uh, very brief. But to let you know that in verse 22, that word possess, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his uh, work, has been a source of great controversy throughout church history. The, the verse was central in the controversy between the Arian Christians, A-R-I-A-N, and the Orthodox Christians in the 4th century B.C. And this, uh, this person who, who was the, the, the source of this controversy, Arius, a priest of Alexandria, taught that Jesus was a created being. 
He believed that he was the first creation of God. He believed that Jesus was begotten by God the Father, but was not equal to God the Father. He believed that essentially God existed before Jesus and that Jesus is not co-equal and co-eternal. And Arius gets this reading of possessed through the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, of the the scriptures in general. And in the Septuagint, uh, it, 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 it says, not possess, but create. And so Arius took that and he says, the Lord created me at the beginning of his work. And so the Orthodox Christians, the, the, the Council of Nicaea got together and they looked at this particular issue and, and this particular controversy. And, and, and they looked at how this verb, yes, sometimes it can mean possess or create. Uh, and, and they argued that according to John 1 and 1, which says that in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the wo- word was with God, that the word was God in the very beginning. It wasn't something that was created. And John 17, 5 also speaks to Jesus being present before God, before creation, sharing in God's glory. And scholars also point out that the same word in Proverbs 8, 22 is used in Proverbs 4, verse 5, which means to possess or acquire. So what's the point of all of this? Why am I telling you this? To show you that wisdom has a unique relationship with God in the very beginning before God created the world. Wisdom was used in the creation of all things. Wisdom also delighted in the children of man. It says it in verse 31. Human beings are the object of God's delight. God delights in you because you reflect his wisdom. Your existence is a product of God's wisdom. And my fourth, my third and final point is from Proverbs 8.35, and it says, Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. So the goal of wisdom is to give you life. It's to give you life and to give you favor from the Lord. God doesn't just want you to survive, but to thrive to live well, and to live with his favor. God's wisdom is a communicable attribute. In in, in theological school and seminary, you you learn about the communicable, communicable, say that 10 times, communicable communicable attributes of God and the incommunicable attributes. Y'all help me. So the communicable, communicable, let's call it the C, the C attributes are basically God's wisdom, God's love. God's creativity. And the I attributes are the fact that God is omniscient. He is all-knowing or omnipotent, that he is all-powerful. So we don't get to share in the I attributes, but we do get to share in the C attributes of God's wisdom. And God's wisdom is more valuable than any riches or anything you might desire. It is ancient. It's life-giving and life-producing, and it's available to you. And I'll close with this final example. So I was uh, listening. Anybody listens to FM radio anymore? Raise your hand. All right. Amen. I'm not alone. So I was listening to FM radio. I think it was 93.3. C-SPAN has this talk show, and they talk about various issues. And people get to call in from all over the United States to talk about whatever issue is on the table. And so this particular topic of discussion 
was the memories of the Apollo 11 mission that put Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin on the moon. Now, if, if, I don't know if you know this, but this year marks the 50th anniversary of that mission. How many of you have seen on the, uh, the, the Washington Monument, you know, they, they had the, the shuttle kind of projected on the monument. Did anybody go and see it? Oh, man, I wish I, is it still there? I guess I have to wait another 50 years, right? But here are some of the benefits that we experience today as a result of the Apollo missions. So software was designed to manage a complex series of systems on board the capsule, uh, and it is and it's an ancestor to the software that today that is used in retail credit card swiping device. So the, the software that they use to design all those major systems on the Apollo mission, we use it today every time we swipe our debit or credit cards. Race car drivers and firefighters today use liquid-cooled garments based on devices created for the Apollo astronauts to wear in their, uh, under their spacesuits. And freeze-dried foods developed for Apollo astronauts to eat in space are used today in military field rations known as MREs. Anybody in the military eat freeze-dried food? No? It's not that good? Well, blame, you know, the Apollo missions, folks. But anyway, it, it, and, and finally, all of the technology that they developed helped to de- really to develop all the technologies that we're using today. In the medical field, uh, uh, they use a lot of that technology, the wisdom, the knowledge that they gained from the Apollo missions. So back to the C-SPAN radio program, one caller called in and said that the U.S. needs to focus on domestic issues rather than the space program. This person said, let China and Russia make space advancements and we can learn from their findings. To that, a congressman called in and said that China and Russia would never share their findings with us because they would have a competitive advantage in the world economy. The wisdom they would acquire would be too valuable to share. Now think about this. We, you have the Apollo missions and all of these things that NASA and these very brilliant scientists that, that they're doing, we, we get to benefit from. And this knowledge is precious. And this knowledge helps America to have a competitive advantage in the world economy. And yet God shares his wisdom. He just gives it out on the street corners. It's that, it's that fifth and I. It's that sixth and I. And he gives us his most valuable and prized possession, which is his son. Ephesians 3, verse 4 through 6 says, The mystery of Christ, which was not made to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. 1 Peter 1 verse 10 says the prophets, the prophets searched and inquired regarding the coming of Christ. Even angels longed to look into the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the wisdom of God. Colossians 2 verse 3 says this. And in Christ all the treasures of, are hidden. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus Christ. And so God gives his most prized possession away to the simple to fools. It says it right there. It says, 
In verse, uh, 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 verse 5, O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. The wisdom of God is given to unsuspecting people like you and me who barely have common sense. And God isn't in a competition with us. We, God isn't trying to uh, you know, hold his wisdom, hold his knowledge so that he can have the competitive advantage in the cosmic economy. But God gives away his wisdom freely, his most prized and precious possession. It's like me taking my five kids on Fifth and I and saying, does anybody want them? You can you know, take this one. Take this one. Does anybody want them? And, and you'd be like, why in the world are you giving away your kids? It, it, what's, what's wrong with you? But that's what God does. God gives away his most precious and prized possession, which is his son, the wisdom of God, so that we can share in his wisdom. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your generosity. We thank you that you have given away your prized possession. Lord, there are many competing wisdoms. There are many voices. And we pray that you would give us uh, wisdom to, to discern your voice. Lord, we pray, O oh God, that you would show us the path of wisdom, the path to your son, Jesus Christ. And that you would help us, O oh God, as we walk, as we work, as we live out our lives. Give us wisdom. Give us your son and help us to discern as we live. In Jesus' name, amen.